0: Welcome back to Out the Gate, the podcast about sailing and adventure on and around San Francisco Bay. I'm Ben Shaw, host and producer of the show, and as I mentioned last week, I'm organizing a virtual get-together for Out the Gate listeners and past guests. The Zoom call will be from 5 to 6 p.m. Pacific time on the evening of Thursday, August 6th. Email me at outthegatesailing at gmail.com or message me on Instagram, outthegatesailing, for a link to the meeting. There's no official agenda, and I may have some icebreaker questions, but it's really just a time to chat, get to know each other, and share some sailing stories. Okay, on to this week's show featuring the crew of SV Pandion, a 68-foot aluminum Brit Chance-designed boat that has... Quite a history. Built in New York in 1971, she won the Annapolis to Newport race as equation in 1973, setting a new time record. Today's crew, the Franz family, Patrick, Tara, and Everest, are not racing, but cruising in Mexico. The path to cruising for this Canadian family is quite short, as they only started sailing about five years ago after moving to the Bay Area. They knew they'd face challenges when they left San Francisco for Mexico, but never imagined they'd be facing a pandemic. Well, why don't I let them tell their story? Here we go.
1: I am Patrick, kind of the captain of the boat, I guess, and that I'm the one responsible for when things go wrong.
2: Uh, I'm Tara.
1: I would be the first mate. We're both Canadian,
2: all three of us are Canadian, and yeah, we are currently sailing on sailing vessel Pandian, which Patrick will talk more about.
3: I'm Everest. I'm uh, 12 years old on the boat. I do all my school work on the boat, and yeah, I help
1: out with the sailing stuff.
0: And there's one more <laughs> member of, of the family who's tucked in his little pug bed right now. Who's that? Yeah.
1: Salty the Pug is, uh, is uh, he's a pug of few words and, and very little uh, movement when he doesn't need to be. So so he's curled up in bed right now, <laughs> and snoring away.
2: Yeah, but he's four years old, and he basically has grown up on sailboats. Yeah. So he's a great boat dog. Yeah.
0: That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining, all four of you for joining. <laughs> it's really a pleasure to have you on the show. Uh, I want to start, tell us where you are right now. And why you're there? Because obviously, as we all know, things are a little out of the ordinary right now.
1: Yeah, things have gone, you know, not not too sideways for us. We have, you know, our what we've what we've chosen to do in, in sailing is, is is not all that outside of of um, these restrictions that are on us now with the virus kind of taking over. But right now, we are anchored outside of La Cruz. The Juana Castle, uh, which is near, uh, just a few miles, uh, I guess, uh, north of Puerto Vallarta. Have you
0: been hunkered down in one spot, or have you so, been able to move around? And that
1: and... is, since this, everything kind of took over, We, when, when it started, we were in Zihuataneo, which is a few hundred miles south of here. That's kind of when things started. From there, we sailed the boat up to Barra de Navidad, which is... 12-hour sale from there, and then we kind of hunkered down there for a bit, just kind of waiting to see what's happening. Mexico's been a little bit slower than other countries to kind of implement a lot of things, but they've also haven't been really all that affected by the virus, at least as far as the testing shows. So things haven't been too locked down here. You know, the locals have been amazing as far as providing things like bringing groceries or restaurants delivering food even out to anchorages and and you know they, they come on pangas and, and deliver food to our boats and but we can still get into town we can still get to grocery stores do all those kinds of things so it's not all that different than it normally is it's just a lot less people out about a lot less beaches being filled so we so we stayed in Anbara for what like a
2: um, almost a month, three I weeks, guess. Seven. Yeah, three weeks. We had planned to go up and sail in the Sea of Cortez and have our the summer there, and we're still hoping to do that. But it's become unusual because we, we don't always have accurate information on which ports are open or closed, which of the smaller towns along the coastline are welcoming to cruisers because they're all trying to make sure they have enough supplies for the locals and people who live there so to suddenly be a visitor somewhere is you know some cities have lots of supplies and they can share and they welcome us being here and helping support the locals there's been so many good programs to actually do things to like help out locals like donate food or money but some places just really can't have don't have the capacity to have visitors. So they're kind of asking people not to come. And we're trying to get accurate information on that and make plans based on it. It can be
0: tricky. How, how do you stay informed?
1: So there's a Sea Cortez Facebook page, like Sea Cortez Sailors. So there's a lot of people around the Sea Cortez that are on that. It's been one of the better ones for getting firsthand information, which we really look at more than anything else. Because a lot of people are saying things they have no idea about and they're kind of guessing, and and it's spreading a lot of this misinformation. And they heard from a friend who heard from a friend that this was shut down. And so we've been really only focusing on who is there right now and what are they reporting. That information is good for a day, maybe, you know, or, you know, kind of gives us an idea of what might be accessible or might not be. But we're just kind of seeing how things are kind of progressing over time and you know things that are starting to tighten down we're like well maybe we'll hang out here a little bit longer or if things look like they're opening up it's like okay well maybe we'll we'll start to plan to make our way up there we just we just arrived here in La Cruz and we're planning on staying till about the you know about a week maybe 10 days and then uh then we're gonna make our way to La Paz we need to get to La Paz because our water maker broke down on the way down here, mm. and uh, so we need to pick. We have a water maker there waiting for us because uh, that's going to be kind of critical. I'm sure nobody on the show ever talks about stuff breaking
2: on their boats. It's just, it's. I know it's unusual.
0: Never, yeah. never. <laughs> <laughs> so the old mantra of uh, plans being written in the sand are, are even more so true today, huh? It's having added flexibility, uh, I guess the people who are having the hardest time are those who are on a, a deadline or trying to get somewhere, get through the Panama Canal. A number of friends
1: of ours, Thistledew, who has been on your show, for is one of them. Mm-hmm. They're trapped down south, and another friend of ours. They were actually they were they were kind of heading down with Thistledew but stayed in uh, Z-Watt Nail a little bit longer for Guitar fest. and Then things kind of hit, and they were like, well, we're not going to do that. So they turned around, and I think they went up to, they're up in Bardock to Navidad, and just kind of, just their seasoning, going to spend the rest of the, the summer there. Often we're constrained to weather or lands that we'd like, we'd like to be here. Or we have, you know, we don't have places we have to be. We have places we'd like to be. Now it's just kind of one more thing to look into you know is the weather good is the anchorage open you know will the navy let us even sail in that area kind of one more thing to kind of direct us or kind of move us in our wherever we end up
2: right i think some of the people more affected may be some of the younger families or cruisers like us who aren't cruising in retirement because you know in retirement you may have more years to stay in mexico and try the panama canal again but there are more there are also a number of people cruising like that's where we have certain deadlines, financial restrictions, or, you know, for us to go to a school, we may go back to land for that. So we're trying to do a certain trip in a small amount of time, and now you have to think maybe we won't get to cross anywhere (laughs) for a year or two because, you know, we are going to be in Mexico for a while while the coronavirus calms down, and um, so it does mean changing your plans pretty drastically as, you know, people went home to Canada earlier or some people are not not going to go back at all, who had planned to. So we're seeing a lot of big shifts for different cruisers here, for sure.
0: Yeah. Well, that's a, a good jumping-off point. I want to go back and hear about uh, the genesis of this plan and what the original idea was. You mentioned that you are from Canada, you're Canadian, but uh, I understand you took off from San Francisco. Yeah, I'd say
1: the genesis was definitely San Francisco-based. So we... We lived in Canada for years and I grew up boating in in Canadian Lakes. So, you know, it was it was never a sailboat, it was always small little power boats and so I've always loved being on the water and when me and Tara moved to British Columbia, we were on the ocean. Tara kinda of had the idea of like, well, instead of like power boats, which just cost so much money to run on fuel. What about sailing? And I'm like, oh, you know, sailing, that could be kind of fun, but...
0: So neither of you it had done it was, it any, any of it when you were younger?
1: Yeah, never. No, never. We, we had never sailed until five years before we left cruising. Four years before we left.
2: Before we left cruising. Five, right? five or six years ago, we took our first sailing classes. So we had moved to California for a job opportunity that I had, and then... We were in San Diego actually at a sort of a work conference when I brought
3: Elvis and Patrick along and we, they were hanging out at our marina. Because uh, he loves to go to – he always loves looking at boats. And,
0: um, <laughs> we were I know that disease. At... I know it well.
3: <laughs> <laughs> we were at a marina there and I was asking – I think it was like eight
0: or something. I was
3: asking why the boats were, needed to be so big. My dad was saying that uh, people can live on boats. And I was saying, we should live on a boat. And then he I said... I said, ask your mother that. Okay, she laugh. She'd just laugh at you. But <laughs> you asked mom, <them, laughs> And then she said, yeah, all right. Yeah. Then so, two years later, we moved on to a boat. Two, yeah, years, two years later,
1: we had moved to a boat. boat.
3: I never expected it to actually happen, but... <laughs>
2: yeah, we were really
3: lucky. We ended
2: up um, renting a house in Santa Cruz where there's really easy access to sailing lessons. So we started taking those uh, we took some on the weekend. I took one of my very early first like sort of like a bonus check at work and we blew the whole thing on a small sailboat, which was really fun.
0: What was <laughs> that? crazy.
2: It was it was called a lecture and so um you can describe it better.
1: Yeah, it was uh it was um uh, the Ma the, 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 the Catalina? No, no, no. It was uh... A sloop rigged um, sailboat. It's a thirty foot sloop rigged sailboat. And the the model, the name is is eluding me right now. That's but all right. the standard bay boat. Uh, we bought it uh, from a guy in um, in Berkeley, and that was it. We paid for it and took ownership. He had left the country uh, for work, so I didn't have a lot of um, post purchase support. Uh-huh. Um, but luckily, <laughs> the boat was in really good shape. That was it. So we.
0: Did you sail that down a, from Berkeley to Santa Cruz?
1: We sailed from Berkeley, not to Santa Cruz, because Santa Cruz has a wait list of like 20 years. So we ended up getting a slip in...
2: Moss Landing. Moss
1: Landing. okay. And so our we sailed the boat from Berkeley to Moss Landing. That was my 10th day sailing ever, was going out the gate wow. <laughs> onto the coast. I know, I know. I, I tell people that story, and they're looking at me like I'm insane. Especially people who sail in the bay because it's often people don't leave the bay very often and and so sailing under the gate is a kind of a big deal. But my our research held and you know we went we went out when we we went out we should have pretty much and we missed we missed the, the tide a little bit but we made it out the gate and it was awesome and we had three day sail we took our time and hopped down to. Moss Landing, and we were welcomed by huge pods of whales and dolphins. It was amazing. And
0: uh, I have to ask Everest, um, you were in some ways the impetus for this. What did you think when you headed out the gate and were in the ocean aboard a boat?
3: Um, I mean, at first I was like, I, I mean, I was always really excited about sailing. It was kind of scary going through the gate. And, like, I took a couple lessons, but it was on, like, tiny boats, so I didn't really know. Like, it was on, like, 10-foot, maybe 15-foot boats. Um, yeah, little Coronados. Yeah, little Santa Coronados. Cruz. So I didn't really know, like, what about sailboat, but it was, it was really cool being out on the water. And I don't think I ever thought that we would be living on a boat. but. Uh-huh.
0: <laughs> <laughs> So, well, you obviously enjoyed the sailing, so when did the idea start to hatch of maybe we could live on a boat and take a longer trip?
1: It was probably before we even bought that boat. When we started taking sailing lessons, actually, we had um, an instructor who was, uh, for me, he was just like the guy. He, he'd lived on the boat, he'd lived on his boat on the hook for the last 20 years, he had taken his kid. Down to South America and back for a couple of years, and he's, you know, he kind of regaled us with all these stories about cruising up and down the coast. And one of the things I was always worried about was, you know, well, we, have, we have a young, I mean, Everest was seven or eight at the time. You had him on this boat, and you were down in South America, like, and one of the things I was kind of worried about was, like, well, how do you, like, with the homeschooling, how do you socialize them? And that was always a thing that I was kind of a little bit not even worried about, but like, just like, like, how does that work? And he says to me, Would you rather be? have them socialized by a bunch of kids in high school or by you and for me that was like oh my god absolutely (laughs) i've known kids in high school i'd rather i was that guy so um
2: (laughs) the idea of traveling and socializing everything having like a world education and even for ourselves it's like who am i going to be when i grow up and (laughs) i think that it's like i want to be the person who's met people all over the world and who's sailed and who's seen things and had adventure and The best part, I think, of the cruising trip and what's been hard about the last month has been, you know, you go to land and you go to these towns and you meet people and you get to live a little bit like a local in that area because you, you know, you aren't at a resort or anything. You're just pulling up and trying to, like, fit into life there, and that's so exciting and fun for me. And during the last few months, we're not really allowed to go do anything and everything's closed and people are sort of sparse, so that's made it. A little less exciting recently, but man, it's been so cool before that. And I really look forward to being able to go more places and keep doing that and for Everest and to have that opportunity too.
0: It is different when you come to a, a place from the water and as you yeah. said, integrate in a different way. Yeah, absolutely.
2: I love those first moments where you get there and go, okay, like, where do we get everything? How does it work? Who does what? Who's mm-hmm. like, what's going on in this town?
3: Yeah. You have to figure <laughs> <What>? it out. <laughs>
2: Sorted out, and even when we would pull in places like in Anchorage or you'd find a marina, and anywhere in San Francisco, we pull in. Okay, what's this place all about? Like, what's going on in this neighborhood, and who's the boating community? Like, it's so fun. Yeah,
3: that's the best part.
0: Everest, what have been your favorite parts?
3: Um, I think mine were like exploring well, swimming in warm water, mm. and exploring like the remote towns. Even the towns that have, like, nothing on it, like East Isabella, which is, like, a bird sanctuary. Um, what was really cool just, like, walking around, seeing what it's like in the different places. Yeah. Before I left school, when I was telling people that I would go on a boat, they asked, like, the same thing, like, well, you don't have anyone to talk to on the boat. And it's like, well, I mean, like, it's not like I'm... Stuck in a metal box with no walls, like I'm going places. <laughs> there are other people.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but are there things you miss?
3: So I had a band in California. I miss
0: them. Um, oh yeah, you're a big guitar player, aren't you? Yeah. I saw a great <laughs> but, video of you doing open mic in Mexico, though. So you've, I know you've found places to play.
3: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I've actually found. I've actually gotten more shows here
0: than i have with in california which surprised me that's
3: awesome that was a really great surprise is
2: finding open mics and places for everest to play that totally opened up this whole world of the music community for us and the mexican music community and that was a real like awesome surprise to just get to be part of something like that
1: and music is such a big part of mexico like it's just people really really appreciate it and so they have so much available here and it's just Forever, I think he's been able to just kind of get this whole other genre of music and, and just these people of a passion for music like he does, and it's been pretty cool to watch.
0: It's a whole other way to get into the culture.
1: Yeah, yeah. Absolutely,
2: absolutely. I don't think we would have done that, too, if it hadn't been for him playing, because, you know, it's not necessarily like us we go to nightclubs and listen to bands and stuff all the time like in redwood city we weren't doing that but now that he plays and then we're here and then it becomes part of what you just start doing and it's been super yeah it's just been like a really enriching part
0: well everest mentioned that um the metal part of the boat uh saying you're not just living in a metal box but you are on a large aluminum cutter i believe right
1: yeah that's right. So, yeah, he is kind of in a in a big metal box, um, <laughs> yeah. which is why we're having this conversation out in the cockpit, because uh, cell phone service does not travel well through aluminum.
0: Huh. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't even think about I like
3: that. To, I like to call it a big metal drum, because any small noise above the deck is extre- is extremely amplified inside the
1: boat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> There are some drawbacks to aluminum hulls, but there is some great things to it. So, so the, the um,
0: name of the boat is
1: so the name of the boat is Pandian, which is uh, the Latin word for an osprey.
0: Tell us about Pandian.
1: The Pandian um, was originally built by a boat designer named Britt Chance. He was kind of a famous boat designer for building some more extreme designs, I think, from from what I've read about him. He built this boat was as a one-off. It was originally named equation back in the seventies and has some cool history. It it, it set some course records on, on a race that it, that it ran for about four years. Um, so she's a fast boat, was built originally for racing. And then, uh, somebody bought it up in the nineties, I believe, and just completely, um, did a complete refit on it, turned it into a cruising boat. Um, and did a really great job on it um it was originally a catch rig now it's a cutter rig so we've lost the mast and somehow in that in that whole redesign
0: <laughs> family feet, from is san right?
1: francisco bought it and they a few years back did did sail down to mexico from san francisco and over to french polynesia up to hawaii and back to san francisco they had it listed for a couple of years but it's it's a 68-foot uh, aluminum hull boat, so it's not your average bay boat. So it took a little while to sell, but, you know, we came across it. You know, we looked at a lot of boats. I think this was the first boat we looked at. This
2: was the first boat we looked at, and then we looked at a lot of boats, and then we still really wanted the first boat
1: we looked well, at. Well, yeah, and then we thought <laughs> it was sold, but then we then the guy just had not listed it because he was like, oh, well, it's not really selling, so he was just kind of sick of maintaining the ads on it. So, And he had in a mooring ball. Out in, um, in
2: Tamales Bay.
1: In Bay, and uh, so it's hard to show the boat. You know, it's like you yeah. gotta you gotta get out the dinghy and get people in the dinghy and out to Tamales Bay and then up on the boat. And you know, and he's got I think he's getting a lot of like people like sticking the tires and aluminum seventy foot sailboat is not for everyone. Yeah, it came up again and again and and then.
0: Uh, I'm yeah, curious what the other boats you were looking you. at were we
1: kind of decided on something like 45 to like maybe 55 foot boat. Like as our boat at the time was 30 feet and that was all we knew other than chartering. We chartered a boat once was I think a 40 foot boat down to Catalina islands with a friend and going from a 30 foot boat to a 70 foot
0: boat is, is quite a, is quite a talk about talk about that a little bit. What were some of the (laughs) biggest surprises or biggest changes
1: was how little it changed. I thought being a 68 foot sailboat it would be hard to maneuver or it would be difficult or docking would be scary and crazy and and I mean the first couple times they were but they were. it wasn't any harder it was just things were just a little bit longer it took a little more to start it and a little more to stop it but other than that it was the same and I think having a boat this big like people are often like wow that's a big boat but we are so comfortable on, this boat. I you know, like so many, so many of our friends who are in you know thirty to forty foot boats, you know, they are in marinas a lot because it's tough, right? Like it's a small space, and when you're full time in a small space, having a little bit of extra legroom is is ideal. But for us, we just you know, marina is like whatever. It's not that big of a deal because we aren't crowded. So yeah. that's been one of the things I really appreciated. About this boat. And I have to thank the guy we ran into years and years and years ago. It was a family that was sailing. And we ran into them in Monterey at the marina. And they were parked there with their 65-foot boat, I think it was. And I was like, wow, that boat's so great, so big. And it's, and he's like, I wish I would have got the bigger one. Whenever you buy your bigger boat, buy the biggest boat you can afford because you're going to wish you did later on. <laughs> that was kind of <laughs> Wow. <laughs> that kind of helped me with this boat. This <laughs> so was like, well, that guy said it would be a good idea to buy a really big boat, so we did.
3: <laughs> a nice thing about having a big boat is we have two five hundred gallon tanks of water.
1: Yeah, we carry so, lots of water. We have eight hundred for- gallons of diesel, which is a crazy amount. But if things get locked down a lot, we're we're pretty. We have a lot of range.
0: And, you are truly self sufficient. Uh, yeah. You
1: know, so as far as the boat goes, we uh, we have a lot of water, a lot of diesel and a lot of solar. So we're pretty self-sufficient out here. I think
0: that's great. Yeah. I mean, you were talking before about how things never break on sailboats, but, um, <laughs> with a bigger boat, you have bigger shackles, you have bigger everything. Do you not? And, uh, has that been, a, been yeah. an issue at all?
1: It hasn't been knock on aluminum, but, um, <laughs> I have no, I have nothing. there's no wood, there's literally no wood around. Um, Good, because I think the last so the last owners that uh, they put in, you know, when we bought this boat, and one of the reasons we did buy this boat was he had recently replaced the mast before they left on their trip. A new engine went in before their trip, so and, you know the rigging is even for a seven foot boat is oversized. So you know the boat was well kind of designed for that. Not that things you know in shackles and things like that haven't broke, but you just buy bigger right I mean it's you buy it's the same stuff it's just generally a little bit bigger yeah and uh and the bigger stuff is pretty strong so
2: yeah I think one thing though so for me one of my interests in um and hobbies has been sewing and so getting on the boat I, I got interested in the canvas work you could do and all the sewing stuff mm. so I've taken some courses and um tried to do as much of the sewing as I can for the canvas work. And so in that way, having a bigger and a more unusual boat has been, um, like a, definitely a bigger challenge. So, you know, you go to make the sail bag and you go to the sail, write videos, which are amazing. And it's like, it hey, is a 14, you know, foot sail bag. And I'm like, okay, cool. So if I'm making like a 60 foot sail bag, like, so you need to like put <laughs> these together and you're buying all this fabric and trying to sew it along you know, a smaller table and it's like, oh, I have to sew like 40 feet of this. Okay, let's just keep it running, keep it running. Doubling the the recipe. Yeah, so that's been kind of funny. It's just making like these bigger things or um, really unique designs because this boat's so custom and unusual and it's been refit a number of times. So it's not the standard size and shape of anything out there. And so everything's been like a unique design challenge, which has been really cool. But also, some days you're like, man, I just want to build like a regular Dodger,
0: yeah.
2: <laughs> and, like
1: throw it down, you know.
0: <laughs> so how long how long before your departure did you purchase the boat?
1: Oh, it was actually we. So we originally had planned on six months. We originally like, said, okay, well, let's buy. We're not. We're going to buy the boat six months before we leave, so we have time to make sure that everything is. We 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 know the boat. We understand the boat. We do everything, but. Like I said, this boat kind of just fell into our laps and kind of like just came out of nowhere. So we actually lived on it for two years before we left. Oh, wow. Yeah, in, almost, in, three, almost three years yeah, yeah. in Redwood City. So we even got liveaboard Have status them. in the bay, which was pretty exciting.
0: Now, was most yeah. of your time spent working on the boat and prepping for the trip, or would you go out sailing on the bay? Both.
1: Um, yeah, so the boat, like I said, was in really good shape. So, you know, there were things that, You know, most of the things that were needed to get done were kind of cosmetic stuff, like just, you know, like the cockpit layout when we got it was not ideal for hanging out in a cockpit. It was really great for sailing because it had the big coffee grinder winches, Mm -hmm. the original coffee grinder winches from the 70s where, you know, but they took up, you know, know, like a a huge portion of the back deck, so we got rid of those and we had new benches built and installed, welded in and everything, so things like that, but... But the boat itself was in great shape. So we did. Yeah, we, we went sailing not so much day sails in the bay because it's a big boat and it doesn't really like to it's a cutter, so it doesn't like to tack very well. You know, it's always a pain to tack and it likes to go one direction for a long time. And pretty fast than. I'd imagine. And quite quick, yeah. I mean she does she does pretty well. I mean in the what was our top speed ever you're always you like to monitor these? Um,
3: it was 12
1: knots. I think we had 12 knots nice. consistent. That was, that consistent was like too.
3: 30 knots of wind, and that's like riding a wave down. Yeah,
1: yeah mm-hmm. but we will often hit 10 knots, so we're, we're pretty happy with We them,
3: go a bit pretty. slower than like the 30 feet when we're motoring because uh-huh. we have more weight, but when we're sailing, we go yeah. faster.
1: Yeah, she sails fast. That's
3: nice. We were
2: able to, like I was working and then... Patrick was working on the boat. So we were able to, and we're living on the boat and just trying to live as frugally as possible so that we could keep putting money aside for the actual trip. So we, it was sort of like three years with one goal, one focus. Like every time we'd be thinking about buying something, I'd be like, is this good for the boat trip? Like, do we, does this work for the boat trip? Right. So everything became very laser focused on like, how do we get to take this time off and go on the boat trip? And yeah. so I think, yeah, it takes like two or three years to kind of get that together.
0: And did you have a date in mind?
2: Well, there was this moment when we were in still living in Santa Cruz, and we bought a boat, and I had written on one of those like, like vision board, like you know, imagine your future, kind of goofy things. But I love, I, I like those. So I had made this one, and I'd put, you know, it was like take off or sail away, July twenty nineteen, and we ended up actually sailing that year we had always pictured that year and it just became more specific the plan got more and more specific as we got close to it so it was like oh what month does it actually make sense to go and like where are we going what are we going to do so as 2019 was getting closer and closer we started to narrow in on like october of 2019 was when we were going to leave then we could really like finalize things get things in place like buying you know, buying certain parts of the boat that you want to get just before you go, putting stuff together that you wanna have as new as possible before you leave,
3: things like that. We plan to move on to the boat three or four months before we left. Yeah. And we moved on earlier and found out that it was a good thing we didn't.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. An older an older boat you want to spend a little more time with, I think. Yeah. Before you before
0: you take off. Time yeah. to get to know her. And the, and the original plan was to cruise for how long?
1: Original plan was at least a year. So mm-hmm. we, we definitely have like setting aside a year, you know, kind of love it or hate it, give it a year, see what happens. And then we want to be back in time for Everest to go to high school. And so, you know, we have, we have like up to three years. Up to three years. <laughs> yeah.
2: have, uh, Between one and three years this time. And then we'll see what the see If we can get out again, or maybe we may, I mean, maybe we hate it, but so far we love it.
0: That's great. So, <laughs> yeah. I want to ask after being so laser focused for three, four years really on this objective, what's it feel to be on the actual adventure?
1: Oh, wow. It, I mean, <laughs> I don't know if you can count the number of times I would just stop and go, Man, we are sailing in Mexico right now. I can't even. I, I can't even believe that this actually did happen. Like the amount of times we discussed it, and then and now we're actually here doing it. It's still to this day. It's still actually. I'm like, I just kind of like every now and then kind of go, "Whoa, we're actually here right now doing this. This is crazy."
0: Were there any points along the way where you th- where you you had doubts, where you thought we were not going to be able to make this, or are we? Am I crazy?
2: Yeah. Yes. there was a point where we thought about delaying another year because oh because we had learned that uh, there was a dentist said that Everest uh would need braces and we thought oh well how are we gonna do that and go on this trip and so it was like there was all these moments where the there's sort of these seeds of doubt like can we do this like should we do this are we crazy for doing this and so something like that would come up where you think oh, well, if our kid needs braces, then it's just the responsible thing would be to, like, wait another year or two and give him the braces. And then when he's done, we'll go on the trip. And then we, we Patrick and I would talk about it and just say, well, the thing is there's always a reason to wait six more months or another year, another two years. And if we don't just go, when are you going to go, right? It's, there's a moment where you go, holy cow, we're finally going to go. You have to kind of go for it and just stop delaying and figure that, like, you know, in three years, we can give him a Like, his teeth, there's a future for his teeth. They'll be fine. <laughs> it's going to work out. And luckily, nothing sort of more dire happened that was like, oh, we're actually blocked. There was always moments of doubt. And especially, you know, I had a good job and I missed it. So there were moments where it was like, I could just keep doing this. I could just keep doing this. Our life is good like this. But now that we're on the trip, um I'm really glad we kind of took the jump and went for it because... It's been unique and exciting, and I know for me, the first four months were really hard because actually being laser-focused um, and then suddenly not having work or anything and just, like, filling your days with sailing and checking stuff out is very different than showing up to a job and working, like, 10 hours, five days a week. And So, yeah, it was kind of a huge shock for me at first.
0: Everest, what has changed about how you relate to your parents or how they relate to you since you guys took off and have just been spending all this time together?
3: I mean, I thought it would be a little different, like, but it hasn't really, it's kind of felt the same, like, I mean, especially since the virus, we can't, we can't leave the boat very often. Mm-hmm. And if we do, there's like only one or two of us. Um, so we we are kind of, together most of the time but it hasn't actually been very different like hasn't been as different as i thought it as i guess i thought it would be
0: yeah what what haven't we talked about that people should know about uh or that you want to talk about about the trip or about the planning the big thing
1: is if you're thinking about doing it just absolutely do it i mean it's not you know, it's it's not a glamorous lifestyle where you're, you know, you're just sitting on tropical beaches drinking coconuts and all that all the time. Although that does happen a lot. You know, we deal with boat breakages and and we wanted to go to shore yesterday, but the wind had picked up in the anchorage just, so it was really splashing. We're like, ah, we're just going to be stuck on the boat today. But everything else has just been absolutely... It's been absolutely worth it, and and I've, I've I've known a number of people who were you know got stuck in that thing where they're even living on their boat in the marina. They're planning on leaving two years ago, they just hadn't yet. And, you know, I, I say you just got to like just untie the lines and go for it because it's it's pretty amazing out here, and it really changes your perspective on a lot of things. So mm.
2: yeah, I think that's what. I would want to share with people the most is that doing something like this does change your perspective. There's something you can get into a really comfortable way of living and probably whatever you're doing right now is, is, you know, it's familiar and it's comfortable. So coming, you know, we lived on a boat for three years, but now that we're cruising it on a boat, it's much less comfortable. There's a lot of difficulties. And sometimes it feels like just to go get groceries is like this huge effort. And you come back from getting groceries and it's like you know you left at nine it's three in the afternoon you're like holy cow is that all I did today and I'm totally beat but the idea of being super aware of like the basic necessities how hard it's to get them the idea of being able to make water be sustainable you know what's necessary what's just decadent like all of that has been a really good eye-opener and I feel like living uncomfortably gives you a lot more to live for in some way Um, And for me, that's been awesome. Like, I, I can't imagine not having had that perspective shift for myself.
3: One thing I thought was kind of funny was with school. Like, a lot of people at my school were like, oh, you get to take a year off from school and go sailing. I'm still doing school, and in a way, it's like a different kind of school because I get to actually go to the places and see what the culture is like. They also thought that I swam to school or sailed to school. So.
1: <laughs> it is a different life. Yeah. <laughs> the the funny thing is that now that this the world has been so drastically changed that you know Everest has been in more classes now because the 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 schooling program he was in has gone to online everything so they're like hello hey, since we're online you want to join us in our online classes now so he's actually been doing more
3: yeah same
1: school because everything's moved more online so that's kind of opened it up for us a little bit
3: same with my guitar teacher started going online so now i can get
1: lessons again. yeah no, know so music lessons are online now too so it's been great
0: wow yeah it might be a boon in the long run for cruisers there's yeah. there more resources <laughs> you know, online
1: yeah, yeah, you take a little bit. It takes a little bit of wins where you can
0: get them. <laughs> well, Tara, Patrick, and Everest, it's been a real pleasure talking with you. Stay safe. We'll we'll follow your travels on on Instagram. We'll tell people where they can catch up on your latest.
1: Oh yeah, I mean we post things on Instagram and and then Facebook as well. It kind of gets shared across the same thing. Sv Pandian. Which is uh, S V P A N D I O N on Facebook and Instagram. I mostly just like to post on there so I can, because I know that in you know a few years I'm going to be looking back at it, going, "Wow, look at what
0: we did," and and so that's kind of where most of our most for of our yourselves, yeah,
1: yeah. It's kind of like a like a, a diary of what, what used of what we did. So that's great. So that's what you'll see there. Lots of sunsets and sunrises. <laughs>
0: Well, enjoy them and stay safe. And thanks Absolutely. again.
1: Thank you so much.
3: Thank you, Nice meeting you.
0: That's it for this episode. Again, if you're interested in participating in the Out the Gate virtual get together at five p.m. Pacific time, Thursday, August sixth, shoot me an email at outthegatesailing@gmail.com. At I'll send you a link and you can join the Zoom call. Thanks for listening. I'm Ben Shaw, host and producer of the show. Until next time, smooth sailing.